Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Wednesday, December 13th. Happy Ice Cream Day. And now we're getting somewhere. Well, darn Bible Y'all, Paul, you might say. There's 17 different ice cream days across the year and a whole ice cream month in July. Kind of played, don't you think? Except you and I both know it ain't true. Because I dig me some ice cream. Especially them Twix bars. Those are legit. Matter of fact, out of all the poisons disguised as food that the beast system easily talks us into killing ourselves with, ice cream's my favorite. And then Kit Kats. Well, darn Bible y'all, Paul, you might say. Way to bring everybody down. Well, hang on, it gets worse. Cause today is also Pick a Pathologist Pal Day, which encourages us to make friends with a pathologist or medical examiner, which are the guys who cut up dead bodies to figure out what killed them. The idea is, if they can be cheerful, so can you. And except for the proctologists, Emmys have the coolest stories. Well, darn Bible y'all, Paul, that is worse. Well, hang on, I can top it. Cause I happen to know a pathologist. Wouldn't exactly call us pals, but she always took my calls. For part of my career in mental health, I handled child abuse death cases and had occasion to interact with the county pathologist. Wouldn't exactly call her cheerful either. She was more shy than anything. She did this PSA once about co-sleeping, where she said, don't let me be the last doctor your child sees. Well, as opposed to what? Being the first doctor your child sees? How's that better? You're the ME, everybody sees you last. Well, darn Bible y'all, Paul. Well, let me stop you right there. It gets worse. Cause I have personally attended four autopsies, two adults and two infants. And if you ever get invited to watch an autopsy, pass, they're unpleasant. Well, darn Bible y'all, Paul, you're not a very up person, are you? Well, what do you want from me? These ain't my holidays. Our reading for today is Obadiah 1, 1 through 21, Revelation 4, 1 through 11, Psalm 132, 1 through 18, and Proverbs 29, 24 and 25. So if y'all are ready, about a month before he died, my uncle covered his backside in Greece. After that, he went downhill fast. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, yesterday on December 12th in the Old Testament, we read Amos 7, 1 through 9, 15. We finished Amos. And he starts out here by talking about the plague of locusts they just went through. He says, And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive. The Lord repented for this. He prayed for forgiveness, and the Lord forgave, which is all the Lord ever wanted in the first place, for us to ask for forgiveness so we can. Then he says, The Lord God called to contend by fire, which refers to God's judgment. But again, he asked for forgiveness, and he did. Then he says, The Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And a plumb line is like a level, sort of. It's a string with a weight on the end that you hang down, and anything you need to be straight up and down, perpendicular to the earth, like a post or a wall, you line it up with the string so it's plumb. And there's several ideas here. Truth and justice, setting things straight, fixing what's off. And it's all about the logos, really. And the Lord said, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So Israel's about to get straightened out, basically. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, hears about Amos prophesying all this bad news. 
and sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. And if what he says is true, the land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, which I don't think Amos did saith that. (laughs) And Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. And well, yeah, he did say that. But you're leaving some things out, Amaziah, like the reason why, like the false idols and child sacrifice and stuff. I mean, y'all gonna let that go, but then get bent all out of shape over something some rando sheep herder says. Y'all's priorities are jacked. So Amaziah's like, Amos, take all that negativity on up the road with you to Judah. Go be their problem. But shut up while you're in my neighborhood. Prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. But Amos is like, well, number one, who said I was a prophet? I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I picked figs for a living. I would not have picked me either to set y'all straight. But I have my plans and the Lord has his. So here we are. And now you're telling me not to do what the God of the universe just told me to do. Seriously, that was the wrong move, priest. Because you know what the Lord says is your reward for going against him like that? Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. So maybe you shut up. How's that sound? (laughs) And then in chapter 8, after that little incident, God shows Amos a vision of a basket of summer fruit, and fruit was the last harvest in Israel. That was the end of the growing season, so it's time for winter. They called it the cutting off. So God says the end is come upon my people of Israel, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. He uses phrases like, songs of the temple shall be howlings, and many dead bodies in every place. And it's all cause of ye that swallow up the needy, even to make of the poor of the land to fail, making the ephah small and the shekel great, falsifying the balances by deceit. And cause y'all say, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell our corn? which means y'all complain about my feasts and festivals and would rather be greedy than worship me, who's the only reason you're here in the first place and gives you everything you have. Shall not the land tremble for this and every one mourn that dwelleth therein? Well, yes, yes it shall, is the answer. I will cause the sun to go down at noon and I will darken the earth in the clear day. He's going to do that in Revelation too, but we'll get to that. And in verse 10 he says, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. Memorize that verse. And next time somebody gets in your face at work, stand up and point at them like Donald Sutherland in Invasion of the Body Snatchers and shout this verse at them. And send the video to babayallpodcast at gmail.com. And whoever is the first one to meet with HR will win something like a t-shirt or a sticker. I don't know. I'll figure it out later. But wait, there's more. He says, I will send a famine in the land, not of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And that's bad. That's way worse than it sounds. And in chapter nine, he has one more vision. He says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. And he said, smite the lintel of the door that the posts may shake and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. And he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. He's going to strike Israel down, in other words. He says, though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. And though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. 
and though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. Now that is a threat. But in verse 9, there's some good news. He says, Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kir? I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth, implying that the chaff will. Don't miss that point. And just so you don't miss that point, he says next, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. But in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as the days of old, which they did under Cyrus. And then verse 13, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. It'll be so fruitful that you can't keep ahead of each other. You'll still be reaping when it's time to plant again, is the idea. And I don't think that ever happened for him. So this was either metaphorical for God's blessing, or it's an end times prophecy, when modern fertilizers and farming techniques can allow you to grow year round, especially in a climate like Israel, or Florida for that matter. He says, I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord God, which never happened for the Jews until 1948. So with judgment, there also comes uh, the promise of restoration. God's the source of all hope, and he wants them to have hope. He gives them hope. All they need to do is come back to him. And then in the New Testament, we read Revelation 3, 7 through 22. And now we have the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And the name Philadelphia comes from phile, for friendship or affection, and Delphus, which means city. So it's city of friendship. And you've probably heard it called the city of brotherly love. And the title that Christ chooses for himself is he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. And David is a type of Christ, so that one's obvious. Here he's saying he's both the king and the priest, like Melchizedek was. And the commendation he gives to Philadelphia is, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And notice, there's no condemnation. And the other day when we did Smyrna, I said that was the only one with no condemnation, but I misspoke. This one doesn't have one either. And verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And the hour of temptation refers to the great tribulation, when you'll be severely tempted to join the dark side, to avoid all the torture and such. And Missler says, in the Greek, the hour of the temptation is the time of the trial, from the period of, not only the actual tribulation, but the time of it also. And that's weird. This is the only letter with the promise of keeping them out of the time of the great tribulation. And the exhortation in verse 11 says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And quickly is suddenly in the Greek. And he says, Thy crown, meaning they already have the crown. So hold fast to it. Let no man rob you. Like Esau was when he lost his place to Jacob, who was Israel, who was one of the parties trying to take the crowns right now. I don't know what that means, but it's something. Verse 12 says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. 
And the phrase open doors is used elsewhere in the New Testament to refer to spreading the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, it says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So prophetically, Philadelphia probably represents the missionary church that started after the Protestant Reformation, when they began to grow the church by loving exhortation and building clinics and digging wells, instead of by invasion and burning people at the stake. Philadelphia, the little courageous church. To them, Jesus comes as he was wholly true with the powerful key of warrior King David. False Jews appear to have been lording it over them, but they stood true to Jesus. And Jesus is going to turn the tables on those false Jews and demonstrate that he loves this church. And he is even going to spare them the tribulation. This little church with little power kept his word, kept the Lord's word. They did not deny the Lord's name, and they kept his word of perseverance. They didn't cast away their confidence in God. No more separation. Then finally, we have the church at Laodicea, which, spoiler alert, this is us prophetically. Laodicea was south of Philadelphia, not far from Colossae, and was large and prosperous. It was never militarily defendable, so its strategic posture was one of compromise. So, uh uh-oh. And verse 14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, and Laio means people, it's the same word we get laity from, and Deceans equals rulers. So in other words, it's rule of by the people. Missler says it's the self-satisfied church. And the title that Christ chooses for himself is the Amen, which means true, the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God, which equals power and authority. And Paul specifically instructed that Colossae and Laodicea exchange their epistles. And his epistles were a rebuttal to the Gnostic errors beginning to make their appearance in the Lycus Valley where they were. So the concerns Jesus had are, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And some folks say this refers to their local water system. Being down in the valley, they had difficulty getting water into Laodicea. So the Laodiceans built an aqueduct to bring cold water down from the mountains. When it left the mountains, it was ice cold. But by the time it made that trip all the way down the mountains to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And lukewarm water is not any good. Down in the valley, where the Lycus River joins the Meander River, there are hot springs. However, when they would take this hot water up to Laodicea, By the time it got there, it was no longer hot. It had become lukewarm. And some say that cold refers to a church that has denied every cardinal doctrine of the faith. It's given over to formality and is carrying on in active opposition to the word of God and the gospel of Christ. Hot speaks to those with real spiritual fervor and passion like the Christians at Ephesus. But the Laodicean church was neither hot nor cold, had feet in both camps, in the middle of the road, 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. And I was watching Oprah one time. <laughs> really, I was. Long time ago. Ooh. And this one woman was talking about how her faith was what got her through something or other. Like she's Hermione Granger, and her faith is a magic power that she uses to get a Cadillac and a new coach purse. And I was struck how common this is for people to say now, that their faith did something. Because it didn't. God may have, or maybe the devil did, but your faith didn't do anything. 
Faith is an internal psycho-spiritual process that allows some people to have the capacity to believe things that others don't have the capacity to believe. God requires it, and if you have it, you'll see signs and wonders. Without it, you won't, which may in turn strengthen your faith, but your faith didn't really cause anything. But believing it does keeps the power and worship centered on self instead of on the Lord. And that woman on Oprah was, to me, a fantastic illustration of the modern lukewarm Laodicean church with our feet in two camps. It's like Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, I mean, none of y'all are like that, but, you know, we all have a friend. And notice that this letter has no commendation. He has nothing good to say about him. And the exhortation is, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And he's speaking to the businessmen in their own terms. Their blindness and nakedness are not incurable. He's the ultimate refiner and he offers his gold. He's the bridegroom and he offers his covering. And he's the great physician and he offers his remedy to really open their eyes, which is the Holy Spirit. Good stuff. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's a beautiful evangelistic call. However, consider the context. Jesus is outside, desperately calling any man to let him in. And this is an indictment of our fellowship with Christ. Remember back in Ruth in chapter 3, that despite the kinsman redeemer's love for Ruth, it had to be her move? Well, it's got to be our move too. And the promise to the overcomer is, I will grant him to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. On whose throne? Well, the throne over Israel. In other words, to reign with him. Laodicea, the lukewarm church that gets spit out. To this group, Jesus is the amen. The so be it unto you as you believed. That cuts both ways. He's the faithful and true witness, and they are not. He is the beginning of God's creation and remains faithful and true. It is expected that they do likewise. Faith. His faith gives hope substance. Lukewarm folks don't have hope. That requires heart, vision, and courage. They are comfortable with so little. Jesus offers fine gold, white garments, and eye salve, but it will cost them something. If they respond to his voice and turn from their cowardly indifference, they can sit down with him on his throne. Now that should stir them up. That's precisely how they rule with him. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 131, 1-3. That's a song of degrees of David. It says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. I know my place, is what he's saying, even like a weaned child. So trust in the Lord and not me, I guess is the idea. So David says, surely I have behaved, composed, and quieted myself, my soul, as a weaned child, as a child reconciled to no longer being nursed by his mother, not haughty and lofty, but he composed himself as a young child weaned from his mother. 
His hope is in God. And in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And that's better translated, the lowly in spirit shall lay hold on honor. It's the meek shall inherit the earth kind of idea. Don't act all prideful, just behave honorably. Because those two are not the same thing. Yeah. A proud man has nowhere to go but down. God opposes the proud. It's honor that upholds the humble in spirit. He honors God. Reap what you sow. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for December 13th is Obadiah 1, 1-21. The Vision of Obadiah Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape-gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sawed up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee, and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O T-man, shall be displayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. 
Our reading in the New Testament for December 13th is Revelation 4, 1-11. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper, and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders, sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts each had of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Our reading in Psalms for December 13th is Psalm 132, 1-18. A song of degrees. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he sware unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes, or slumber to mine eyelids, until I find out a place for the Lord, and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest for ever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. And our reading in Proverbs for December 13th is Proverbs 29, 24, and 25. Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing, and bewrayeth it not. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And that'll do it for the 13th. All right, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on Revelation 2.12, which says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. So hit the 30 second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on repentance. Because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, 
Satan is the God of this world, and though we dwell where his seat is, we desperately hold fast to your name. Yet the world, and even some within the church, cast stumbling blocks before your children of fornication and idolatry, and use their positions to take advantage of others. If we have done such, Father, we repent, and we thank you that you have promised the overcomer that he'll be fed with hidden manna, and given a new name, to be called a child of God and not sinner. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yallin' I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them somehow. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like Bible Y'all and you want to support it, best thing y'all can do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if you got any prayer requests, email them to BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. That was really loud.